0: If I'm gonna learn, may it serve the whole. May it serve the future ones. Don't.
1: Hi, I'm Patricia. Welcome to the 90th episode of A Breath of Song. I'm so glad you chose to do this today, which is extra special because Ali Blakely is joining us for a songwriter conversation. Hi, Ali. Welcome.
0: Hi. Thank
1: you. Speaking of the ancient lineage of songs, Louise Erdrich wrote, they all come from the same place and go back to a time when only the stones howled. We are here to experience that ancient lineage, to howl with the stones. Your voice is exactly what's needed for this. I'm coming to you straight from my home in what is now called Burlington, Vermont on the unceded lands of the Abenaki people. And Ale, tell us where you're calling from. Mm.
2: Yeah, I'm calling in from the lands of Nettle, and orca, and salmon, and pine, and cedar, and devil's club, and many more. Um, This is the territory of Coast Salish peoples, which is also so-called Seattle.
0: Mm.
1: So last week, I shared Ali's song, A Spell for Intergenerational Trauma. And today, Ali will be teaching us a powerful song of hers called The Shame Song. We'll learn it slowly so it can settle inside you and you can begin to trust it as a resource, let it move you into a state of flow. Then we get to enjoy a conversation with Ollie, and we'll close out with the song again at the end. You'll always be able to find this episode on the website of breathofsong.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen as many times as you'd like. But let's start with a good yawn stretch, maybe rolling your shoulders a bit. Letting your back flex whatever really feels good in your body. Opening up space between muscles and bones. Maybe opening up space inside the muscles between molecules. Mm. And Begin to notice your breath as it flows in. Let it widen your rib cage, And as it goes out, let it take something with it. And as it comes in, let it widen into your belly. And let it release. Let it come in and explore down into your pelvis. And let it go one more widening around your back and release and then the next one letting it come in as it goes out let it be audible and again more just really feeling into the marrow of your body Uh, (sighs) Mm, uh, um, yeah I'm gonna turn it over to
2: you Ali invite you you to share this song Mm. yeah so this song is called the shame song and it comes with a story that maybe we can talk about later but for now I'll just Share that the line that says, I deserve to court the shadows here, is a line that comes from a longing to do work in community as opposed to an isolation, a longing for being able to be fully human in community which with all that humanity comes making errors making mistakes being imperfect being in fact perfectly imperfectly imperfect and um, so this song is really an invitation for um, the parts of us that have not known love as Francis Weller would say and also he says that Um, Shame settles in the places that we don't speak. So this song is for those places. Mm -hmm. So I'll sing it through all the way once, and then I will teach it to you. If I'm gonna
0: fall And if I'm gonna change may it serve the whole may it turn a page and if i'm gonna fail and if i'm gonna learn may it serve the whole May it serve the future ones. I too deserve belonging. I too deserve to heal. I too deserve a life. I deserve to court the shadows here I do deserve belonging I do deserve to heal I do deserve aliveness I deserve to court the shadows
2: here So I will teach this song one line at a time, and we like to say echo, which means I will sing a line and you'll echo it back to me. So we can start from the top. If I'm gonna fall,
0: if I'm gonna fall. And if I'm gonna change And if if I'm I'm gonna gonna change change, May it serve the whole May May it serve the whole May it turn a page turn up and if I'm gonna fail and if I'm gonna fail and if I'm gonna learn and if I'm gonna learn may it serve the whole The future ones may it serve the future ones. I, I do deserve belonging, I do deserve belonging, I do deserve to heal, I too deserve to heal. I too deserve a life I too deserve a life I deserve to court the shadows here I deserve to court the shadows here I do deserve a I too deserve belonging I too deserve to heal I too deserve to heal I too deserve a life met. I too deserve a life met. I deserve to court the shadows here. I deserve to court the shadows
2: here. Yes, so with that brief overview of the song, I would like to remind people that on that last part that I just ta- taught, it says, I too deserve belonging I too deserve to heal I too deserve aliveness I deserve so often on that fourth one people want to say I too again but it's I deserve so I usually teach this song in this part by having people as a group say together on my fingers, I'm counting through the four lines. I'm saying number one, I two, number two, I two, number three, I two, and the fourth one, I deserve. So collectively, let's say, I I two, I two, I two, I I deserve. One more time. I I two, I I two, I two, I I deserve." deserve one more time. (laughs) I too, I too, I too, I deserve. And the only difference on that last part of the song is I deserve to court the shadows here. The only difference melodically is the note on here. So the first time we sing it, it says, I deserve to court the shadows here it goes up and then the second time we sing it I deserve to court the shadows here and let's sing that note together here Here. that's the note right there here right So if i was here with you and you could see me i would be directing you with my thumbs going up or my thumbs going down to remind you of which way we were going with the note but since you can't see me i hope that you are going to be able to remember so this is a song that is pretty simple melodically to remember and I realized that the more we sing it with the, the more people that there there are when we sing these songs the bigger the mycelial brain is and which means that it's caught by the collective quicker when there are more people if I'm trying to teach this song to three people we might take a long time to practice it versus if I was trying to teach it to a hundred and so Um, What I usually do is I sing it through once as I did, then I teach it just once as I did, just for this particular song. And then I remind you how the first part of the song goes, so I will sing it again and you listen. And then I would speak the lines out before they come because there's so much spaciousness between each of the lines, so it would be like... I would say okay we're going to start with if I'm going to fall and we would the whole group would go into if I'm going to fall and while that long notes going out I would be saying to the group If I'm gonna change, so they're hearing the next piece that's coming in, right? So if I'm gonna fall, and that note goes out, and I go, if I'm gonna change, and then they go, if I'm gonna change, and while that note's really long, I say, may it serve the whole, may it serve the whole, and while they're holding that note, I'm saying, may it turn a page, may it turn a page. So it works really nice when we're all singing it in a group, but since that's not how it's going, i'm gonna actually just teach it one more time like i just did before and give you a chance to echo it back but i'm just throwing in some tips here in case you decide you want to teach this to other people so we'll do an echo again if i'm gonna fall
0: you if i'm gonna fall and if I'm gonna change you, and, and if I'm gonna change, may it serve the whole, may it serve the whole, may it turn a page. If I'm gonna fail, and if I'm gonna fail, and if I'm gonna learn, and if I'm gonna learn, may it serve the whole, may it serve the whole. serve the future once may it serve the future once I too deserve belonging I too deserve belonging I too deserve deserve to heal I too deserve to heal I too deserve a life I too deserve a life I deserve to court the shadows here I deserve to court the shadows here I too deserve belonging I too deserve belonging. I too deserve to heal. I too deserve to heal. I too deserve a life. deserve to court the shadows here i deserve to court the shadows here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: so i'll do it one more time and we're going to sing it Yay. all the way through together and you can always hit rewind i understand with technology Um, So I'm just going to sing it all the way through as if we were all together and we had already learned this song. And I really encourage you to use your body as percussion, snap, use your chest as a drum, use your legs as a drum, whatever feels right to you, clap. All of this really helps us stay in and get in our bodies and it's also really nice after we sing songs to just pause and hold some silence and notice what's going on in our bodies as a result of singing the song and feeling and playing that rhythm on our body like what is alive or what's moving somatically um and then on the part where we sing i too deserve belonging that is a part of celebration and joy and it's this claiming and so i really invite you to be in your car and scream that part at the top of your lungs claim that for yourself okay so one more time from the top all together this won't be in an that won't be an echo If if i'm gonna fall And if
0: I'm gonna change May it serve the whole May it turn a page And And if if I'm I'm gonna gonna fail, fail And if I'm gonna learn May it serve the whole serve the future ones I too deserve belonging I too deserve to heal I too deserve aliveness I deserve to court the shadows here I too deserve belonging I, too, deserve to heal. I, too, deserve aliveness. I deserve to court the shadows here. Wow.
1: I know that you couldn't hear all of us singing along with you. I got to duet with you. Um But I was on mute. The way these calls are set up, we're doing a Zoom call. I have to mute while Ollie is singing because my sound would be behind hers. I have to go fudge that in post-production. I go back and line things back up. So you're hearing me singing as I felt it and experienced together at the same time. That's a powerful song to sing, those words to myself. I want to say that when I was getting ready for this interview, I realized I'm really intimidated by you. You, um, from your website, from your songs, the, the album that I know spells for intergenerational trauma healing, it seems to me like you've done a ton of work. You carry a lot of wisdom in your voice. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to see. It's beautiful to experience. I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about how you connect to that power Mm. in yourself.
2: Ooh, that's a big question. And thank you for your vulnerability. (laughs) Um, hmm. So I feel like there are two things that are being spoken to in your question. One is what you referred to as the wisdom, and the other piece is the power. And I feel like those are two different access points for me. The power, I would say, comes from an unseen realm. And it is a combination of what is beneath, above, behind, beside, and in front of me. And what is behind me are my ancestors and my Ashkenazi and Finnish and Swedish and Norwegian and English and Irish and Scottish ancestors. Those are the ones standing behind me um and it's and it's all of them it's not just the ones who are were the pagan practicing old european ones that i claim or or as i hear so many people say the benevolent ones it's all all of them i claim all of them um even the ones who caused harm i call i i I'm claiming both the the colonized and the colonizers, the rapists and the, the people who were raped, the witches and the witch burners. All of that is part of my lineage and I feel like a lot of my power that I yield, wield and work with comes from the claiming of all of them. Knowing that the work I'm doing in this body, in this, tiny little grain of sand moment in time space and the universe and galaxies and infinite spaciousness around us (laughs) that is just like mind-blowing that the healing that i'm doing in this body impacts my people behind me and it impacts the people next to me and it impacts the people below and above me in the seen and unseen realms, in the more than human and human realms. And then of course, the people coming after me. And when I say people, I'm not talking about humans, specifically, I'm talking about all beings. Um, And so the power, I think that that you're referring to comes from a place of um, responsibility and obligation that i feel in this body to be a vessel for that healing that ripples through non-linearly in a spiral across time and space for all of these different entities and spirits and people and bodies that are in benefiting and impacting from the commitment that I have to healing, doing the healing work I can in this body at this time. So I'm thinking
1: to myself that for me, the idea of including the people who have harmed, especially the people who have harmed me directly, um, that's a, you know, that's a challenging one to include, acknowledge, see them in in time space with me. And of course they are, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That is true.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But being able to trust the ripples of one's own healing to go backwards as well as forwards and to to include them That feels to me like big wisdom, like elder wisdom. Where, how did you access that kind of wisdom? Can I ask that question? I mean, that's...
2: Yes, absolutely. That's a great question. In fact, that's an incredibly important question because it's very important for us to be naming where we are gaining or learning what the teachings that we are carrying or the beliefs that we have. And sometimes they come through dreams for me. And a lot of times they come through teachers. And I will name that the first teacher that really made me think in deep time, which is how she calls it, is Joanna Macy. When the pandemic first happened, I went into a six month training um, in the work that reconnects and really deepened into my my sense of the smallness of my life in the like timeline of life on earth, let alone the universe. Mm. And so she talks about deep time, which is also, you know, uh, many indigenous cultures have these teachings, Mm -hmm. right? They talk about seven generations, and that any decision that they make is based upon how will this decision impact seven generations from now. Learning from, you know, different indigenous teachings is it has been, has informed much of my deepening, including my Jewish ancestral earth-based practices. Many of my teachers, like, Dory Midnight, Rebecca Erav, the Kohenet Priestess Institute, um, several different rabbis, Jill Hammer, Taya Ma, all of these people in in my Ashkenazi, you know, I'm I'm I have Ashkenazi ancestry, and so I, my ancestors arriving to Brooklyn, New York from running from the pogroms in Poland, they assimilated into white culture and and try to get rid of as much of their Jewishness as possible in order to assimilate and survive. So I see that as a form of resiliency. And yet here I am in this body doing what I can to reclaim my Jewish ancestry in the ways that I have access to And can from the teachers that I have in my life and so many of those teachers show me that you know our history goes back thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years and that these teachings are also embedded in like a earth-based Judaism wisdom.
1: So can you talk to me about how that wisdom ends up trickling into song for you? Yeah, I think
2: the biggest realization that I had around these songs that are coming through um, me is... I'm going to pause and say, do I really want to talk about this? Yeah, I do want to talk about it because it's been a... Yeah, okay, I'm going for it. Here we go. So there, there's an artist. His name is Nako Bear. I don't know if you know who Nako Bear is. He has a band. Oh
0: yes I do. Yes I do.
2: Mm -hmm. So he has a band Nako and Medicine for the People and my child and I kind of grew up together listening to a lot of his songs which are so beautiful and then this whole thing came out a couple of years ago and turns out he had caused a lot of harm to a lot of people and you know he went through cancel culture and all of this and it took me I was really reckoning with what was happening for him, um, in, in you know, in the public sphere of social media and all of that. And I was trying to parse out because there was a moment in that where I said, I don't want anything to do with this person and I can't listen to his music. It was a huge grief for me because his music was literally like my church. It was the music that I put on when I felt like I was dying inside and it lifted me up. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like now I don't have church anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. it was like this, Mm -hmm. this reckoning that I had to do. And I started to realize through the songs that were coming through me that so I caught a song called Ready. Ready. And this is all coming back to the question you're asking. So I caught a song called Ready during the pandemic. And the lyrics say, I know we've been prepared for these times. I know in my bones, in my blood, in my belly, I can feel we are ready. We are ready. We are ready. I feel it in my bones and blood and belly. And so I took this song to... One of the elders in my community when it came through and she kind of just sat there staring at me after i sang the song to her and she looked at me and she goes but do you really feel ready ale and i just kind of stared at her with like big eyes and like thought about that for the first time and i said no i don't and it was in that moment that i realized that the songs that are coming through me most of the time like shame like the shame song like ready they're not because i'm carrying this wisdom that i have mastered and here i am to teach you all about this it's because i'm channeling the exact medicine that i need to sing to myself so that i can move through Mm -hmm. these moments and so for example the song ready was like, okay, so this is a song for me to have an opening towards the possibility of what it might feel like to be ready for this, these times of collapse that we're living through. And so that's, that's what I wanted to share. It kind of helped me circle back to knock bears songs and be like, wow, maybe that's what's going on for him. Like, maybe he's not carrying these teachings and he's failed us all because he wasn't congruent with his, his message. He actually is channeling the the medicine that he needs to work with in his lifetime. That mm. is also a gift for us, right? Mm. And so I really, really have a strong, um, a strong like conviction around, and that's this is also connects back to the shame song. A strong conviction around not holding each other, especially as public figure figures, to perfectionism. Mm -hmm. Because it's like we want to pedestalize people and we want to put them on these Mm -hmm. quote unquote like guru or leader or shaman or healer or, you know, whatever these things are that are perfect. And then they're just they're just perfect. And we have these golden projections on them. And it's like as soon as they make a mistake, we're like, eh, whatever. And we take them off the pedestal and then we move along and forget about them. We can't do that.
1: And we feel like their teachings are not possible or not that their teachings weren't true. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah. So I'm really advocating for us not doing that anymore because it's 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 an it's a impossible standard yeah. for for artists and other people and that are public figures or, you know, healers to live up to and it's it's not real. It doesn't exist.
1: And it makes it more difficult for the person to stay on their own path of healing, to actually keep following that because you feel like there's this unreal expectation and a desire not to fall into the shame of not living up to what people are thinking of you. Yeah. Right? So you say on your website, you give three questions that are guiding you right now on your website. And the first one is, what is the role of an elder in these times of collapse? So thinking of what you just said and combining that with that question, what are you thinking right now?
2: <laughs> you know, I was just talking to my partner about this last night. Um, I, like It's funny that you asked me that question because I say, these are the questions guiding my life. It does not mean I have the answer. <laughs> of course
1: not. And I'm not looking for the answer. Just to be really clear, I'm not looking for the answer. I'm looking for mm-hmm. where your thinking is right now. Mm-hmm. Given Mm. that it might change, right? And it might be different for different people in different places. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. With the caveat that this is solely my opinion, which I'm sure most people know, but, um, uh, I am a parent of a 14 year old and it is really heartbreaking to witness, um, what they're up. I don't want to say up against, but what they're, what they're grappling with. In 2023, you know, the opioid crisis, uh, the climate crisis, gun violence in schools, mental health, social media that is just, just really not supportive to anyone's, um, I think, mental health if it's not, you know, if it's overused. So my kid has several friends who are going through some really intense stuff. And it's just, it's almost like weekly, if not daily, heartbreak learning stories about what these kids are going mm-hmm. through. And I, I, I'll I, bring it back to two other songs I have. One is men- the Mentor song, it's called Mentors, and it says, we must become... The mentors that we are seeking is also dreaming us what it is that we are dreaming. And that song came through out of a deep grief I was carrying coming out of a grief ritual where I, I just felt like I had no access to mentors, no access to elders, and a deep longing and and desire to be mentored, to be able to sit at an elder's feet and wash them as they told me stories about what it meant to be alive during their times, what kind of mistakes and errors did our village our community make and can they share those with me so that maybe we don't make the same ones you know it's just like there's this oral tradition that has been lost which is one of the reasons why i love songs so much in a community singing tradition because it's this technology kind of like telephone game where we get to pass along these songs and the songs they live as long as they're sung and For me, the question of what does it mean to be an elder in these times of collapse is, first of all, I mean, the identity of elder, I think, is usually something that isn't self-proclaimed. It's something that is gifted to the person by the community. The community says, you are our elder or you are an elder in this community. We're looking to you Um, Mm -hmm. and I, for me, what an elder is, is someone who is bringing a, it's, they're like a bard. They carry the history. They carry stories. They, they're the, they're what we sit around instead of Netflix in the evening together. And we listen to those stories and we're with a fire. The grandfather fires there and we're being told stories of Mm -hmm our culture, of other cultures, they're they are teaching us, they're carrying wisdom, they're carrying teachings, they're carrying songs, they're carrying memories that stretch far back beyond their own lifetime. And and its they're part of the glue of our community. And I feel like with everything that's going on with our youth right now, if we had more mentors which is very different from an elder but similar in many ways if we had more mentors on a local level i'm talking about like in our individual communities if we could create more mentorship programs and of course you know for me it's like that that mentorship program could look so different for so many different people But a mentorship and an elder program for me is helping children or youth or our people or adults, whoever, our communities, to remember that which was meant to be forgotten through this transition into capitalism. And for me, that is a reconnection to land, reconnection to Culture, which that is like a whole another rabbit hole, because what does that even mean right now? Culture of mm-hmm. wh- it, white culture or what kind of culture? Because whose culture? You know, it's it's a it's a big question. But um, culture, our bodies, you know, like mm-hmm. we're living in a culture right, right now that benefits from the dis- from our disembodiment. Mm-hmm. Connecting to spirit. And like what might beyond what might be beyond what the eye can see, connecting to um, ancestors, which I think for me is one of the most fundamental pieces in in my rootedness when I walk on this planet is having a sense of access to to the people behind me, both biologically and also chosen. So just. Creating technologies, spaces, places for us to be able to reconnect with these things, and then what are the tools that we use? We, for me, that's wilderness, being outside, being in the trees, being laying our bodies on the soil. It's singing together. It's grieving together. It's, you know, having these somatic practices. It's movement. It's. Um, It's having joy and pleasure practices, cultivating practices of joy and pleasure and and just remembering what it means to be sitting in circle Mm -hmm. and having decadent listening active listening where one person is talking at a time and we're really listening to each other. Because that's the mycelial mm. brain. That's like where we begin to cultivate empathy and compassion. And mm. what Subomfu Some, one of my grief lineage teachers, who I never learned from directly, but know so much about her work, um, she she says that in her village, the Dagara people in Burkina Faso, West Africa, that grieving together was the glue of the community. Mm and so yeah i just feel like um being an elder in these times of collapse is helping us remember what was meant to be forgotten in this you know pre-transition to capitalism
1: so i'm curious i'm gonna pull us back to song for a second and ask when you are songwriting song catching becoming aware of a song that's 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 coming up through you. How do you know when you've got a kernel of a song that is one that you're going to want to share? How do you recognize that a song has has hooked into some of that old knowledge, wisdom, or something, that there's something true in that song that you are going to want to share? Is it somatic? Is it
2: visual? Is mm. it yeah I guess it is somatic. I never really thought about that before. I mean, it's a feeling in my belly that I get of like this is ready to be released. this is no long this no longer belongs to me or you know this brief moment that it uh-huh I could have only been held in my hands. It's time for it to be released into the ether um Yeah, because there are definitely times where I'm working on songs and I'm like, no, this just, it's not, this isn't, it's not this yet, knowing that it's on its way. Mm -hmm. I would say the knowingness is somewhere located between my heart and my intestines.
1: Do you ever find that you hear somebody else sing your song and you experience it differently differently?
2: all the time every time yeah yeah tell me about that hmm I mean in my experience it's just a, a an appreciation and curiosity that I hold around this oral tradition like I said earlier kind of like telephone where you know everyone kind of sits in a circle and you say I fed the cat today mm-hmm. and then you whisper that in the, and then by the time it goes all the way around the circle it's I read the cat something i don't know like it's a little bit different or or sometimes it's dramatically different yep. um and so i'm i just hold the curiosity of that when i hear the songs being sung and i'm just so grateful that it's usually not the lyrics that are not correct but it's often melody or timing <laughs> and i'm feel less concerned about that i'm more grateful that the message is always, remains intact most of the time. Um, Uh But I do get, often get feedback from people at my song circles when I'm leading a circle that come to me and say, gosh, I have sang your song with, I've sang many of your songs in many different song circles with many different song leaders. And it's almost like these songs need you to sing them. It's like the so- the experience mm-hmm. of the song when you teach mm-hmm. them is dramatically different energetically and like with the underlying spell mm-hmm. that's happening in your songs. So I've mm-hmm. received that as like common feedback. So I I appreciate mm-hmm. that and and um yeah. It's a curious it's a curious thing but I'm so grateful that other people are carrying and singing these songs and I don't feel bothered by it when they come out on the other line of the telephone a little bit different. Yeah. How
1: did you get involved with community singing?
2: Mm, gosh. There's such a long story to that historically. Um so I can give you the like medium version. Okay. I moved to Mexico in 2005 and arrived there with a drum and a guitar because I wanted to learn both of those things and so as I was moving through my travels there were some buskers in San Cristobal de las Casas Chiapas who who confused me for a musician. By carrying those things, and invited me to a jam, and although I told them I couldn't play, they didn't believe me until I showed up at the jam and <laughs> tried <laughs> tried to play, and they were like, "Oh yeah, no, you're not a musician." Um, they're like, "Well, but wait, maybe you like, can you sing a song?" And so I sang a song. Um, I sang "Leaving on a Jet Plane." And Mm -hmm. because it was the only song I think I knew at that time in my head, and they they kind of all looked at me and they're like, oh, she can sing. And that just kind of began my singing career um, in 2005, where there was a bunch of uh, musicians in a jam room in a small little basement in San Cristobal saying, oh, yeah, you can sing. And I believed them. Um, fortunately, and and so yeah, just sang a lot for, uh, did a lot of, a lot of, a front of the band sort of singing and, backup singing for famous Mexican pop stars and in Mexico and all of that for about eleven years, and then I moved back to Seattle, which is where I grew up, and I moved back to Seattle because I wanted to support the movement of shifting and healing white culture. And Mm. um, I what year was this now? This was 2017. Okay. And when I got here, um, it was kind of like the peak of the Standing Rock movement Mm -hmm. and the, the movement to defund the Dakota Access Pipeline. And so that was kind of my doorway into the work I wanted to do. And so I started playing. I it was the first time I, I I finally picked up the guitar and was like, I need to learn at least five chords and then I can at least play some songs. And so, went from playing with like a band of eight people to playing me just me, my voice and the guitar on stage. And I was singing protest songs that I was writing, and I was playing at benefit concerts. And you know all the all the funds were going towards the benefit of whatever we were raising funds for. And, um, I was simultaneously having this feeling that like, yeah, this is nice, but it's still not exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I just had this feeling and I, the feeling or the knowing was I didn't want to be on a stage anymore and I didn't want to be playing, Mm. um, in certain particular environments that had like alcohol or, you know, I'm, I was like, I want to shift this there's something there's something here that's not totally right for me and so I started having dreams at night and I would wake up in the morning in the liminal space and I could still kind of remember the somatic feeling of what I was waking up from and what I was waking up from would often be me standing in a circle with probably a hundred other people we were all standing and we were singing like one note together but we were it wasn't like an ohm it was more like a like there was harmony happening and maybe some of it was shifting a little bit and, and we were like all had our arms around each other and we were kind of like rocking slowly back and forth and I would wake up from that and I would just be like what is that what is that And so fast forward a couple years later, uh, I started watching um, a documentary series done by PBS called Eyes on the Prize about the civil rights movement. And I was amazed at how much through that whole series, like one of the main threads of that was the, the singing that happened. And Mm -hmm. singing as a tool for union, singing as a tool for activism, singing as a tool for spiritualism, singing as a tool for, you know, political education and resistance. And so I was like, huh, I bet we could do something like that. Maybe if I invited a couple of people of my friends that I know like music and singing to come over, we could write a song together and then sing it at the next city council meeting. So that's how it started. Um, I invited a couple people over, we wrote a song together for a Green New Deal and went to city council, and there was probably like 12 of us and we sang it all together in a room of like two or 300 people full of city council um, and our beautiful local citizens and and it went really well and so people just i I was like should we like should we keep doing this and so we just it kind of built from there and we started calling in like monthly community song gatherings and we kept catching or you know releasing songs i'm trying to figure out how i even want to say that anymore um but bringing it you know bringing songs in through us there's a song that i caught that's called courage That we sang in the streets with over 200 people as we shut down one of the city streets in front of Chase Bank, the headquarters. Like, it's the world's largest fossil fuel funder. And yeah, out in the streets with 200 people singing, Courage is not the absence of fear,
0: it is the feeling of this fear
2: being afraid and standing up anyway and it just we never got tired of it it's like i f- i mean we sang that song for hours and then we would end and people like keep going you know and <laughs> we even sang that song um inside a chase bank the next day where we packed about 200 this is like a month before March 2020 so this is February 2020 mm. packed a bunch of people into a Chase Bank in downtown Seattle where we held a grief ritual for all that had been lost that we were losing and that we were on the way to losing as a result of the climate crisis and, and the Anthropocene um, and sang that song inside there and yeah so that was how I moved and shifted my way into community singing and then i started going to gatherings which i had never been to before and those are like the best thing for me in the entire world because it's just hanging out with everyone who just wants to do that for four days you know and um yeah it feels like it feels like a homecoming for me from the divergence i took from church as a young one when that wasn't filling you know it wasn't answering certain questions i was having so i went my separate way back when i was around 17 years old and then as i came back to well as i came into community singing i i had this beautiful grief move through me one day where i was like this is what i loved about the mega church This was my favorite part. Like I was kind of always not even paying attention when the pastor was preaching. But when we got up to sing, Mm -hmm. I was like, had all the emotions running through me. I had grief. I had joy. I had praise. I had pleasure. I had, you know, anger, like everything moved through me when we would sing together. Mm -hmm. And when I found community singing and I was like really getting into the heart of it, I was like, I made the connection wow, this was the juice of mm-hmm. my youth mm-hmm. that, I, that I left for decades before I found it again in this way. So tell us about
1: the project that you are fundraising for right now, the community singing, how you're bringing that community singing work forward, what you're dreaming right now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that realization that I had about bringing the church back into my life through song came as I had just laid down a really, really big prayer to um, channel through a song called Songs for Grief, which is now called Wales, W-A-I-L-S, Songs for Grief. Um, And it's an album that is inspired by... The Five Gates of Grief from Francis Weller's book, The Wild Edge of Sorrow. And so those five gates of grief he talks about, which are, they're not the only ways that we enter in our grief bodies, but they're five gates of grief, right? So there are five of probably millions or just many. And those five gates that he speaks to um, the first gate is everything you love, you will lose. Uh, the second gate is the places that have not known love. The third gate is the sorrows of the world. And the fourth gate is what we expected and did not receive. So for me, in that case, like mentors and elder- elders. And then number five, ancestral g- grief so that intergenerational Mm -hmm. trauma or reclaiming of our of our lineage that has caused and endured harm and the second gate for example the places that have not known love you know i've caught a song for each of these gates and the second gate is the shame song so the places Mm -hmm. that have not known love Mm -hmm. and So this album has a song for each of those gates and then an opening and closing song. So like an opening song for us to drop into our bodies and a closing song for us to kind of come ride that wave of grief back out again, while also maintaining a commitment and apprenticeship to sorrow. And then an opening and closing spoken word prayer. So it's kind of I've I've built it out so that it feels like we're in a circle. It feels like we're in a ceremony together. Mm. And the album is a combination of both my voice, a cappella, and then we're recording it this summer with a choir of over a hundred people, hopefully up to 150. And that will that choir will be integrated into the album in certain parts of the songs,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then I have um, a friend of mine who's an incredible musician named Max Ribner, um, trumpet player, who's helping me compose the strings to the songs. And so, yeah, this is an album that is entirely dedicated to grief and it is it is in the community singing tradition all of the songs are meant to be um, they're the they're the types of songs that are short and simple so they're very easily learned and um, the idea is that it's one thing to have an album and have it have a production and have it sound really fancy but really the songs are meant to be sung around the fire with you know your community
1: I mean, one of the benefits of technology is being able to listen to such an album over and over and over again, right? Until it really is just is inside your body. And then to be able to join with others in a circle and sing the album will be a really fabulous experience. And that just makes me really excited. (laughs) That makes me want to absolutely participate by the album. I know I've already contributed mm,
2: thank
0: you. because you're
1: fundraising for it and i think you should tell people how they can support this because this feels to me like the kind of experience that could be um i don't want to put too much weight on you or it or anything like that but it feels like a life changing opportunity
2: mm, yeah i feel that too and i don't take that lightly and i appreciate your capacity to name that and see that and i do feel like this is a A big birth, a very big birth, a very big prayer, because the underlying prayer with this project, with this album is to, as you sang in the spell for intergenerational trauma, is to ripple through to the future ones and ultimately Mm -hmm. to ripple through to all of those who need it most, but to really ripple through to the future ones so that they know we were thinking about them when we made this album and the, the underlying prayer is that this album creates tiny little fissures that turns into cracks that allow for hearts to break open. Because um, this album is also riding a, a ripple of the prayer of the elders of the Dagara people from where Sobomfu and Maladoma Some come from, who were the ones that brought grief ritual to the West. And their elders sent them to the West because the elders realized, wow, all of this pain that we're seeing happening everywhere is, is really kind of happening from people of European descent. And they have forgotten how to grieve. So we're sending you to the West to help them to remember how to grieve, because maybe then we can start to have more compassion and empathy for each other and connect deeper with every living thing on this planet. And so this album feels like a continuation of that ripple into the healing that, that they initially sent Subomfu and, and Maladoma on, um, and that's what it feels like for me. And so, yeah, it, as independent artists, we need community support.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, I'm fundraising for this album. Our final goal is $20,429. And we're almost at 13000 right now. And so I'm really seeking people who can support financially in any way and also in the ways of sharing it. I mean, you know, sometimes I can't support financially when folks are fundraising, but I have access to a lot of people and I can share and spread the word. So those are Mm -hmm. two ways that are really supportive. We're looking for sponsors for the album So those folks, if they want to be sponsors, they give larger quantities of money and then we name them on our booklet that we make that's going to be a 40-page booklet with all the lyrics and talking about grief and there's beautiful art. It's super beneficial for um, people to support in whatever way they can. And then, of course, there's the invitation to join the choir for the summer, which my friend Aliko and I are um, co-organizing this event. I'm curating it and he's producing it um, and it's going to be a four-day event where the song circles that we have for the grief songs will be recorded but there will also be people like Lawrence Cole there and Leticia Nieto doing mm. drama and... Um, just really incredible um, teachers and um, some beautiful grief ministry, but also a lot of encouragement to strengthen our joy and pleasure muscles while we're there and our our connective Mm -hmm. tissues as community. So there'll be many invitations. And I really am excited about the weekend because it's mostly focused as much as possible on acoustics, like Pre-amplification, right? Like being in the village before we mm. we had um, amplification, and so we'll do as much of it in that way that we can. Yeah, so hopefully that event goes live in March, and at this point we're aiming for um, July twenty eighth to July thirty first in Washington State.
1: Can you tell people where they should go on the web to find this project?
2: hmm So if you go to my website, which will be linked in the show notes, which is healingattheroots.com, the best way to stay informed is to sign up for my monthly newsletter. In fact, it's, you know, sometimes it's a couple more times than once a month, but it's usually once a month that I send out notices. And that's where it will go live. The event will go live um, through that avenue.
1: Great. Great. And I will also put this in the the group of people who have signed up for a Breath of Song email. When you make this live, I will share it directly with those people as well. So you get a double reminder. Because I, I experience for myself sometimes, it's the things as they cross my desk, my desk being my email inbox, as they cross is when I see them and I can take action or not. And if I don't take action at that moment, Sometimes I manage to come back to it, and sometimes I don't. You know, there are so many things vying for our attention, mm-hmm. and figuring out how to tend, how how to manage that that focus is an ongoing an ongoing learning opportunity.
2: <laughs> I'll say. yeah. I am
1: wondering. I'm wondering about going back to a couple of things. Mm -hmm. One is I'm wondering what your earliest song memory is before leaving on a jet plane. Or maybe that is your earliest song memory. What's your earliest memory of, Mm -hmm. of singing?
2: I don't know song has always been a part of my life I definitely have several memories before leaving on a jet plane but the memory that's actually coming to me right now which feels quite significant is my mom bought me a karaoke machine in the 80s and you know it was the there were tapes and you had to double hit the play record button back in the day you know um, and, and it was a machine that I could plug a microphone into and sing into the microphone and record my voice. And it was the first time that I had ever been able to hear my voice played back to me. Uh-huh. And I remember feeling mortified by it. I remember not liking the way my voice sounded at all because I was trying to sing a Mariah Carey song. And that memory feels really significant to me because i hear so many people as they're reclaiming their voices say oh i i can't sing and i feel like the i can't sing comes from the commodification of voices of when we transitioned from group singing and community singing to putting one person like Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston, Celine Dion, Ariana Grande, or whoever these people are, and be like, these are the people mm-hmm. who can sing. You have shows mm-hmm. like American Idol making fun of people who can't sing versus people who can. And for me, you know, that happened to me as a kid. I believed that story was true. I believed I couldn't sing. And, uh, and yeah, look at me now. I, I can, and I... I think that for me, in most cases, you know, when we're recording this album, we're going to have people audition because we want it to sound a particular way. But outside of that, when we're doing community singing in our backyards, around a fire, on the ocean, in the woods, in a meadow, it's not about what we sound like. The inherent birthright of singing is about what it feels like in our bodies, and the power of healing that it has for us and how that is amplified and maximized when we do it together. And so it's not about you being able to sing or not being able to sing. It wasn't about, Ale. could little Ale sing, did she have a good voice or not? It was, I wish I could have had someone then say, what is it, But bo- okay, well, let's, t- let's not listen to that, but when you sing, what does it feel like mm. in your body? Mm. What is, what does it make you feel? Because I loved singing, right? And it wasn't until mm-hmm. I heard my voice reflected back and that it didn't sound like Mariah Carey that all of a sudden I created this belief that I couldn't sing.
1: Mm-hmm. How did you move out of that? Was it the moment when you sang? It was probably the
2: leaving on the jet plane moment mm-hmm. where I had other people reflect to me outside mm-hmm. of myself. Like, oh, you sound good. I'm like, I do, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting to me how much, how easily
1: we get shamed out of our voices. How it seems like the voice is there's there's some something so genuine about our voices, something so real about how it connects with us, that it's it's very vulnerable to shaming. The kind of shaming that happens on American Idol. You see that, and you think to yourself, okay, never putting myself in that position, right? because it's because it hits at something that's so true inside ourselves so now when you wake up in the morning how do you greet your voice <laughs>
2: I feel like this is the part where listeners are going to be like, oh, she probably does some magical thing. And, like, That's right. Out. She
1: casts a spell. Yeah.
2: I don't. I probably growl. Growling is probably the first thing. Everyone in my house and anyone who knows me well enough knows, like, we don't talk to Ali in the morning. Huh. <laughs> um, Sometimes, yeah. I think some of the sounds that first come out of me in the morning might be like, hmm you know, like mm, I don't not <laughs> want to get up. Yeah, I don't want to go to school. Um, and there are internal sounds that happen. In fact, my kid sings all the time, and even my partner, who claims he can't sing, sings. I think they sing in more than I do in the house. Like I, I've noticed this about myself. That I'm actually not the person who's like singing while I cook and singing while you know whistle while we work like I that's just not who I am I have to carve out intentional time to be with my voice
1: so when you come into that intentional time are you practicing songs that you already know are you how do you set that time apart are you coming into a drone are you playing an instrument are you how do you set that time apart and know
2: mm-hmm. okay now's
1: the time when i'm i'm listening to my voice um
2: really honestly again so not glor glorified here i put it on my calendar mm-hmm. it's it's like okay monday from 10 to 4 i'm just focusing on my voice you know some people can do like an hour a day or something i i I cannot. I have to have, like, the day is focused on mm. this mm-hmm. thing. So I direct all of my energy and attention to that for a day, whatever that day slot looks like. And it it's never the same. It's always different. I don't have a practice of, like, oh, I start off with a harmonium and t- tone or nothing like that. It's It's kind of like what's alive in me right now where where's where am i hurting what wants to be spoken to and and then and so there's that and then usually the best songs that come through me are not planned like that they're the ones that i'm in so much agony and pain that the only thing that will make me feel like bring me back to some sort of equilibrium where I'm still off balance is by catching and singing a song and so I just sing to the deep the deep dark waters that are moving through me and then by the time I bring a song through it's my starts by being recorded on my phone with an audio note and then I have some other apps like acapella or loopy which like help you, allow you to like create layered songs so I can make some harmonies mm-hmm. or other second parts um and I have a journal next to me and write all that down and you know shame came through like that shame mm-hmm. came through, the shame song came through immediately after hanging up from a zoom call where someone was sharing a, a really a story about shame and it, it hurt me so much to hear how much they were still hurting, um, that that song came through pretty kind of just like slid through. Like when you hear mothers talk about like, yeah, I had a birth. My second birth was just like, they snapped their finger. I'm like, that's what shame was like. It was just like, boom, it just slid right through other songs. You know, they take more. I, my, my favorite song, um, story is when I my took my kid every Friday to a, a farm where they would go to the farm for the day and I would drive I would drop them off at the farm and it was too far away from our house for me to like go home and then come back so I would just like okay Fridays are now gonna be my song days and I'm gonna drop them off at the farm I'm gonna drive to the beach I'll sit on the beach and bring a pat like a picnic lunch for six hours do catch some songs if they want to come through, or jur- and or journal, and then go back and get my kid. And so I spent an entire day catching a song called the Mirror Song or Compersion, which is is all about um, rooting for each other. Uh, it's 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 like a it's hopefully an antidote to jealousy, which woof got got a lot of work there. But um, caught that song, and right as I completed it, all of a sudden I heard. <laughs> And there was an entire pod of orca whales, probably, you know, a hundred feet offshore. And yeah, it was just so magical. Wow! Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty spectacular moment.
1: You know, when you were talking about songs, you talked about the the deep, dark. It made me think of the ocean. You talked Mm -hmm. about connecting with this part of yourself that that felt oceanic. Mm Mm-hmm. So Lindsay Scott is a friend of mine and a friend of yours, a beloved person. I said to her, okay, so tell me, what should I ask Ali about? And she said, ask her about whales.
2: Mm. I love you, Lindsay. (laughs) Shout out to Lindsay Scott. Mm. She's one of my favorite humans. Um, Oh, yeah, Whales. I don't even know where to begin with them, but they're—I have—I have their tail on my arm from a tattoo, mm. and um, they've been—they've been a deep, deep companion of mine my entire life, and they have woven in and out of chapters of my life in different ways. Sometimes they're much more present than others, depending on what's happening, but there I would say if someone was to tell me um, or ask me like what who's your who's been your biggest teacher in your lifetime I would say the whales the cetaceans and it wasn't until recently that I began to make the connection between this mentor of mine my whole life and the grief work that I do as a as a communal grief tender and and a, a professional griever myself mm-hmm. um, of wailing, right? Mm. Wailing, wailing, mm. whales. And it's funny because I've been having conversations with scientists who are marine biologists, and it's just so funny to me. You know, they're like whales have nothing to do with grief and when you hear whale song it's you know like it that has nothing to do with grief and I believe them if you know from where from the perspective of where they're you know looking at the world and holding not holding you know like not having a bias and, and that doesn't erase my experience and only I get to know my experience I can't convince anybody else of it um, and I I feel that way about everyone else who shares with me their own experience. I don't know it. And in my experience, whales are, you know, they've been visiting me in real time, but also mostly in my dreams for almost four decades. And they are the ones who are guiding me through Very intense transitions in my life. They show up when big transitions Mm. are coming. Mm. Um, Sometimes I get knocked over by tsunamis and I find them underwater as the tsunami has swallowed me whole. Often I'm underneath their bellies and I'm rubbing them or sometimes they want me to grab their fins and they take me deep into the depths of the abyss of the ocean. And what they're teaching me is how to breathe deeply into my belly. My kid and I caught a song probably about five years ago together. It says, humpback whale, humpback whale, teach me how to breathe into this body so that I may grieve Mm. and then there's something about going into the abyss so that I may rise up in all of my bliss so it's kind of like that pendulum swinging back and forth but I think really for me like the biggest metaphor I'm sitting with in this current moment of my life is the transience of emotions and when I'm in this like day or week or month or chapter of my life where everything just feels great and I'm happy and like things all seem to be going well and I'm like, I'll take it while I can get it. I know it's not here to last, you know, like here it is right now. So I'm just going to like enjoy it as much as I can. And I also hold on to that knowing when I'm in the depths of despair. Here it is right now. I'll take it while I can get it because it's not going to last. It's going to ebb and flow constantly. And that's what whales teach me is like this whole, you know, it's like, are they holding their breath? I don't know. Cause they come up to the top of the water. It's like, and then they go back down. And so there's this like diving deep into the underworld and having this like wise enthusiasm this wise capacity to be in the depths without fear that they won't be able to come back up for air it's like i know i can dive down deep and i know i need to come back up for air and i will it's just the nature of things it's the season of things and so yeah they're they are yeah big 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 companions of mine in all aspects of everything I do, every day.
1: That's such a beautiful, beautiful knowing. Yeah. Mm. Are there any questions that I haven't asked that you wish I had asked?
2: I just wanna reflect back to you how grateful I am for the time that you take to carve out space for this, this way of being together in community and, and amplifying it through this medium of podcast to the listeners so that people have more access to this way of sharing song and being in community together. I really feel like we need more of that right now. And so I I just want to offer you gratitude for using this, having the ancient and the new here, this ancient technology of, song sharing oral tradition community singing and then broadcasting it live through this technology that we have today and the thoughtfulness and time that you take to really get to know each song leader and develop questions that are meaningful to help other people get to know us as well so thank you for that
1: you're welcome thank you i really started this podcast because i was looking for it I was searching for it, and I couldn't find it. And so I thought, OK, OK. <laughs> yep. Are you good for a lightning round set of questions?
2: We could try, sure.
1: What's an album that was really important to you? Uh, the Miseducation
2: of Lauryn Hill. Mm. What is your favorite soup? Um, garbanzo and kale and coconut. Yeah.
1: What is a sound you feel strongly about? doesn't have to be beautiful or whatever.
2: Whale. Whale song. Mm. Humpback. Okay. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Who is an artist you wish more people listened to? Earth Practice. Earth Practice. I've not heard of them. Oh, you will. Okay. Mm -hmm. And before we close... Where can we find you and follow your projects, by your music, just for people who don't have easy access to the show notes so they can catch mm. it?
2: Yeah, so on Bandcamp on the web, I have an album, a community singing album that I put out last summer in 2020. What year are we? 2020. So it's 2022. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's called Spells from the Unknown. And, yeah, there's, I think, like 20 or even 30-something songs on there that are all community singing songs, so there. Also on YouTube, I have more of my storytelling music on there, so lots of music videos and visuals, and there's a beautiful song called uh, once Upon a Time that I encourage people to check out and it's just me and my guitar in a cemetery And then there's a beautiful surprise at the end of the video But this song is about breaking the cycles of intergenerational patriarchy um, So that's it. That's one of my favorites on there And so you can click on once you find that music video Once Upon a Time Alexandra Blakely Then you can click on my name Alexandra Blakely like my channel and you'll just see a plethora of videos and yeah I would encourage people to check out the GoFundMe Wales Songs for Grief by me Alexandra Blakely Um, my website healingattheroots.com which where you can get monthly updates on song circles and grief retreats that I hold with other mentors of mine like Lawrence Cole and Nala Walla and then Let's see where else. On Spotify, you can find my music, which is not community songs yet, but you can hear some older stuff on Spotify. Um, I have a Patreon. That is the most helpful way for people to really support me as an independent artist on a monthly basis. You can start at $5 a month and work your way up. I'll be upping my game on Patreon real soon offering monthly song circles and monthly grief circles for particular um, tiers of the Patreon supporters. So that'll Mm -hmm. be coming out in the near future. Perhaps Mm -hmm. it might take a few months still. But yeah, those are some of the avenues people can find my stuff.
1: Beautiful. A huge thank you to you, Ali, for coming on A Breath of Song. And a huge thank you to you, our listeners. I'm so glad you're singing with us. Let me remind you that sharing this podcast with your friends really makes a difference. Visit a breathofsong.com to see the show notes with all those links that you just heard, lyrics, Patti Piotrowski's glorious artwork. Sign up to get artwork and music in your mailbox. Leave something in the tip jar to help cover costs, podcasts, cost to create. Before Patty or I is paid, 25% is donated to the Jazz Foundation of America, which directly supports jazz, blues, and roots musicians in need. Because the skill and the artistry of these musicians has directly shaped most of the music that I share on this podcast. Yet historically, they have been inadequately recognized and unfairly recompensed. So let's sing the shame song again to help it sink in a little more deeply.
0: If I'm gonna fall And if I'm gonna change May it serve the whole May it turn the page And if I'm gonna fail If I'm gonna learn, may it serve the whole. May it serve the future ones. I do deserve belonging. I do deserve to heal. I do deserve a life. Now. I deserve to court the shadows here I do deserve belonging I
2: do deserve to
0: heal I do deserve aliveness I deserve to court the shadows here
1: Thank you for joining Ali and me today for A Breath of Song. I'm grateful that you are taking care of yourself and listening to your voice. I believe making a better world starts with tuning into ourselves and each other, which is what we just did. So yay, us. If you're liking this podcast, please share with a friend, and next time we'll plant another song. Until then, be well.